We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,432 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Hemsch alongside Bruce Adams for Tech Tuesday. How are you, Bruce? Oh, healthy and alive, doing well. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. I'm a bit a bit sore today. I had a unfortunate accident yesterday. I was doing some uh, dumbbell presses and you know how you're supposed to like keep your, I should have known better. I, you keep your arms in. I was too far out and I tweaked my shoulder and I'm in, I'm in some pain. So I, I'm working on it. It's, it's a, a work in progress and hopefully I'll be back by maybe the end of this week. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but, praying for a speedy recovery. Yeah, let's hope so. All right. Anyway, into the tech world, I suppose. I don't want to really say this, but we're kind of teetering on the edge of, of getting into politics with this, and I don't like it, but it is science. It is techie stuff. Um, they're saying that the Gulf Stream could collapse as early as next year. But now, mind you, these are people that are like, what is it, 0 for 46 in their predictions yeah. in the last like 50 years for the climate. So I'm not taking this one too much to heart. Uh, scientists that, of course, they don't say who this is, are saying that uh, melting ice in the, in the northern hemisphere is disrupting the Gulf Stream. This could send Europe into a deep freeze, best depicted in the Hollywood film The Day After Tomorrow. Do you remember that one? I do, yeah. Yeah, the catastrophic one, yeah. The scientists warn that the abrupt shutdown of the Atlantic Ocean currents is looking more likely than ever. And it's according to a computer simulation. Of course, you have to put the algorithms and the, the calculations into the simulation in order for it to run and give you the outcome that you want. And I'm assuming here, not knowing for sure, but I'm assuming here that if they don't give the right outcome for the correct fear porn to be produced in the mass media, then you're not going to get funding. I'm assuming that's what's going on here. The authors from Utrecht University in the Netherlands don't know exactly when the collapse will happen, although they say it's next year, but they don't know exactly when. Uh, but they say yeah. it could be as soon as next year. But you see, they don't know for sure. They, they also give a time range looking at it. If you're born this year, you might die before the ending of their prediction. The, the, the last year they predict. It's 2095 is the last prediction. Oh, I see. So, so now between now and the end of the century, then yeah. is oh yeah. okay. All right. So we we could be that now again. We're we're seeing the the usual fear porn um, quotes in here. Quote: We're moving closer to the collapse, but we're not sure how much closer. That was according to lead author of the uh, the paper, Mister uh, Van Westen. He also said we are heading towards a tipping point. We've been hearing that tipping point for what thirty years now. It's a tipping point. Yeah. At Al Gore said the tipping point was. 
seven years in 2007, right? Yeah, somewhere somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah, that, was the that sounds about point. right. And seven years. Yeah, it's we we have we have until the seven or seven years from now. In 2007, he said that 2013, 2014, all of Antarctica was supposed to be melted by then. I thought. Yeah, and he didn't he do an update and say something about 2018 later. For some reason, 2018 so, yeah. was supposed to be another year that everything ended and uh, whatnot. This yeah. this one, by the way, looking at it, they're actually saying that um, the the actual paper says that um, it may switch. The, the the Gulf Stream may switch. So right now we have the faster current of a Gulf Stream and they're saying it may switch uh, to a weaker current. So they're not even technically the paper itself doesn't even say that it's going to end and there's no longer going to be a Gulf Stream. It's the um, media that's pushing the fear porn. <laughs> Got to get those clicks. Yeah, it's clickbait. That's all it is. They go on to talk about the process of glaciers forming and then melting and all the rest of it. The conveyor belts of the ocean transports warm water near the ocean, which there's truth to that. I mean, that's how the Gulf Stream works. But this idea that we're going to, you know, melt off the ice caps or whatever, that's that's nothing but nonsense. That's that's crap. Uh, if you look at, I think it was even NASA's own survey, and you know how left-leaning they can be sometimes, but if you look at their own survey, they show that the Arctic ice caps, both North and South, North Arctic and Southern Antarctic, both of their ice uh, levels have been at record levels this year. So there's that. So I don't I don't put any faith in this. It's just, as you say, it's just click-based fear porn. So I'm not really worried about it. Scientists have proposed launching an umbrella the size of Argentina. 9 million miles from Earth to block the planet from the sun's rays. And they say that this would reduce global temperatures by 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit within two years. Wasn't this the um, the space, what was it, the, um, was it space balloons that, that Klaus Schwab and his, his mm. people were talking about, those things, to block out the yeah. sun? Yeah. They were also talking about, uh, Bill Gates was talking about, um, what was it, uh, sulfur something or another, uh, it may have been sulfur dioxide. That doesn't sound right because that would aluminum dioxide. No, no I'm pretty sure else. it was sulfur of some kind. But they were talking about putting that in the atmosphere to. No, it was chalk to wasn't block it? out. Yeah, it may have been chalk. Uh, but I remember they were talking about releasing something in the atmosphere, and we're going to do tests on it to block out uh, suns, uh, the sun rays. These people have lost their minds. Absolutely lost their minds. So to give you an idea, this is this is the proposed thing. So you see there, Bruce, if this thing is launched up there, then it would block out, a you know, basically the entire continent of, of, of Africa. That is, uh, it's foolish. Okay, we've existed for who knows how long in the Goldilocks zone of our solar system. And now we're going to throw something up that, uh, first of all, is going to be a feat to build, but we're going to take that and put that up there, which could potentially cause an ice age or extinction events uh, on the planet uh, it's absolutely foolish um we shouldn't be doing this kind of thing they're insane they've lost their minds we could use that material that they would use to make that giant foil we could use that to uh, get into space and and travel um colonize well, they would lose control if they did that. So the wild idea comes from uh, Israeli researchers who believe that the one million square mile shade. Now, think about the resources and the manpower and the money and the the building process and then getting it up there. 
would cost to do that. It's ridiculous. The team at uh, Technion Inst- Israel Institute of Technology is seeking $20 million for a prototype that would be 100 square feet, which they say that they could build uh, They could build by 2027. The sale would sit more than 9 million miles from Earth and move through space by opening and closing the shading layer. And of course, I, I, the, the cost estimated right now of building the actual one, they say that it is in the many trillions of dollars. I was going to say that's it's going to be multiple nations GDP um, to to even come close to scratching this. We're talking uh, even if it was aluminum foil, which that would that would be stupid um, for something that large. You're going to have micrometeors ripping through that thing like crazy. Yeah, I was going to say I think you're going to whatever material it's made out of, it, it's going to be ripped apart. Yeah, that that that's actually a good point because objects in space, uh, especially in our solar system, they're going to be moving at you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand miles per hour, and a little bitty grain of uh, sand is going to punch a, a, a you know a fist sized hole through uh, aluminum foil. Well, that's what the Chinese do with bags of sand that, that they throw up there. That's their version of anti-satellite warfare is, <laughs> is that is just detonate I mean, a bag of sand up there. And that's it works. Actually, uh, that's actually a cheap solution. It, it would work uh, if you can get something into orbit, uh, which means you're traveling at, you know, 25,000 miles per hour. A grain of sand, the, the amount of uh, kinetic energy in that is the space station. Basically, if you hit the space station with uh, one of those sandbags, you would obliterate it i mean the, the thing would decompress almost instantaneously it's really dangerous um i saw anyway i saw a solid block of aluminum that was attached to the the iss right a micrometeorite so something the size of like a pebble that we find in like a driveway or something or just on a gravel road just a, a pebble hit this thing and it blew a hole in it the size of a basketball yep we've we've done we've done tests here on on earth of um, like throwing a pebble at, uh, you know, 15, 18,000 miles per hour in little test chamber things that they make. And it leaves a crater in sand or gravel about the size of a softball. And, you know, a little bitty pebble, maybe the size of your uh, pinky nail. Uh, it, it's the amount of kinetic energy that's involved when you start doing that is is immense. I mean, th- that's the whole reason that you have, you know, like a, an asteroid that comes in and and destroys half the planet or or you know cracks the planet in half it's not because of the sheer mass of the object itself it's because of the uh, kinetic energy that's involved the the speed that the object is traveling it does have to do with mass as well but we'll take arizona the big crater that's in arizona now okay so the the one that's a tourist attraction people can go to that was the size of a school bus yeah that that's i mean we're, we're talking immense amounts of um, energy involved there. So so having this giant foil to stop sunlight, it's going to be riddled full of holes in no time flat because th- there's so many micrometeors that are that are flying around. And then not well, not to mention all the debris that we left behind uh, in, in some of our uh, space launches and whatnot. Where are we going to get the material? That's the other thing is how much material is it? What's the weight of the material going to be? How many space launches are we going to do to get that material up there? How much more material are we removing from the planet causing uh imbalance i mean you know the the planet is um rotating on its axis and you start shifting around the material on the the axis or you know where it's at you're going to throw off the center of gravity a bit i mean we've talked about it before that giant dam they built in china actually 
altered our uh, rotation on our axis ever so slightly because of the the, the shift in where the water was uh, sitting. That same is thing can happen if we start. Well, yeah, until the collapse. Yeah, that's true. But we start removing large amounts of material and throwing it into space. The same thing can happen. Uh, you, you're removing mass from the planet. That's why we need to be up there, uh, you know, mining like the asteroid belt or something like that um, and getting the material elsewhere so we don't destroy our, our home. Yeah, here we go. Harvard physicist Avi Loeb says that uh, the project uh, of erecting any of these megastructures in space would be very expensive and would require major international collaboration through reallocation of funds from military budgets uh-huh, to these. So there you go. That's that's the purpose behind it. Yeah, uh, honestly, if, if you're going to have that level of cooperation on something, you're going to have to have an actual real threat like aliens coming in and trying to conquer us like an independence day or something like that but if they if the aliens are like uh independence day you're you're gonna lose like there there is no amount of collaboration between countries and nations to um conquer the aliens at that that you're gonna have to have an act of god to save you at that point to be that far ahead even if it's just 200 years it's the difference of well look at it this way look at the old west back in the day native americans used sticks stones bows arrows and soldiers had firearms there's a lot of massacres in our history from um, those kind of battles and that's only like 20 30 years of technological difference you know uh, and when you get into 200 years as an example that that is a massive shift uh in, in technology so I, it, honestly, it's going to take something massive like that or nuclear disaster or something to, to get people to work together from other nations like Russia or China. They're, they're kind of the problem right now. You mean they're not there to, to offer their assistance and their own oh, they'll, they'll offer scientists? You assistance. And, you know, yeah, I'll, yeah, they'll give you some assistance. All right. Yeah, mm. sure. Let's get on to something a little bit more down to earth, shall we? Let's talk about umbrellas that are down here. What about flying umbrellas? Would you like one of those? This is an umbrella that is like a drone, but it's got the quadcopter design on each corner, so it's a little square that comes up. And I'll give you the um, I'll give you the promo video here, Bruce. You can take a look at it. Hang on, right? So here's the here's the thing, right? And it's it just follows you around. It's got the little controls there, and yeah, it's just an umbrella with four quad rotor or you know you know little rotors on it you know the quad rotor thing and it just follows you around wherever you walk uh yeah um i'll pass but even even if the uh quad rotor umbrella thing was able to track you and follow you uh using ai or something like that um you're gonna have this noisy as hell machine flying around you um yeah no i i just i'll, I'll pass um what happens when, let's say, for example, let's say this is, uh, this takes off and, uh, you're, you're walking down the street and the sidewalk and someone passes you with this same thing. Uh, what happens when the blades impact one another, or, you know, you, you're walking in a crowded space or something and it, it just, it doesn't, and it doesn't seem feasible. doesn't seem feasible. And what happens when the battery dies, when you're out in the middle of the, the rainstorm? or the electronics get wet or something, then you might as well just forget it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And you also run into the possibility of uh, interference from, let's say it's lightning uh, that has electromagnetic um, releases when uh, lightning uh, strikes. And if it's close enough to you, it could ruin the, the device without even striking it. 
I feel like we're just getting lazier and lazier. And you did say that when we were going through soundcheck, you said, what, are we so lazy we can't even hold an umbrella anymore? Answer is yes. Yeah. If, if, this were, if this were a flying umbrella and allow us to fly around like Mary Poppins or something like that, um, all right, maybe, you know, like a jetpack or something like that. Yeah, sure. Okay. But this is, it's going to fly around above you. It, it seems like this is just a... It's a gimmick. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's just an, it it's an engineer that's screwing around with, hey, could I actually do this and make this work? And did it for fun as a hobby, not as a we're actually going to make this product and it, it it's a thing. As it as it looks in the the video, it's just it, it's remote control. It's not even tracking you using AI or anything yet. So uh, I, I think at this point, it's just a proof of concept gimmick. Have some fun with. He'll be on Kickstarter making all kinds of money off of it. Will you watch? <laughs> it would not surprise me. We did see the the one company trying to make those um, uh, helmets that had the, uh, f- in you know, in-helmet filter thing, HEPA filters or whatever in the in the oh, yes. uh, mask. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did see those, yeah. Uh, there have been some things that have come off of Kickstarter that have actually been decent. Uh, there's Actually, you turned me on to something. There was a graphene jacket that was self-drying on there. It was made out of uh, of graphene fiber, and it was very expensive. It was around five hundred dollars, I think, to to pre order one, not even take delivery on it. Um, and I don't know if that actually made it. I don't know if they hit their goal or not. But oh, they I even had that. they even had some with like the little insert things that uh, were heated. Um, like it, it was graphene, but it was a uh, heating element uh, in there as well. Yeah, those did actually look pretty neat. And graphene being as durable as it is, uh, that would. It would have been interesting to see if it took off. Absolutely. All right, moving right along here. Speaking of taking off, well, you're just hitting all the key words tonight to move into the next subject, aren't you? Taking off, right? There's a coin that is going to be minted in Poland that will levitate and glow in the dark. And guess what? It is actual legal currency, as in legal tender. You can spend it. I don't know why anybody would make one of these, but you know what? I'm honestly going to try and get my hands on one. You and I were looking at the video of it in prep, and I have to be honest, it looks quite interesting. Now, this is called the UFO MP1766 coin, which will qualify as legal tender, and it has a hidden motor, which generates a magnetic field with the specially designed base, which then enables it to float. And we watched the video, and it just kind of sits there and just hovers and spins, and that's about all it does. It's literally just like two magnets is all it is. It's creating the, the magnetic field, and it just does. They, they have these things already. Uh, I've seen them many times. That, um, for example, they've got the Star Wars memorabilia that sits there and spins like the Death Star. It'll sit there and spin and rotate and all that stuff. So I've seen these things before. It's a, it's a nice little desktop item. I don't understand how they're going to sell this for what they're going to sell it for. They say it is going to have a value of £2.30, which I don't understand because there's seven ounces of silver in it and silver spot price is about $25 right now. So I don't I don't see how they're going to do that. I, I, I would assume that they're going to sell it higher because it might be a collector's item or something. I don't know. But I'll have to look on to the, uh, to go on to the, the Polish Mint's website and see if I can uh, get a price quote from them or see if I can put a pre-order in. But that looks pretty interesting. Yeah, as, as you said, as like a desk ornament or something like that, I'm all on board. That It does actually look pretty neat. And it looks like something from um, some kind of sci-fi movie or something like that, the, the design they have on and there. And I'm interested because... What I have right here, Bruce, is um, seven ounces of silver. 
Yeah. So I, I'm actually I'm actually interested in in what that is. So yeah, and they do say it's the the coin's actual worth far exceeds its face value. Um, which if they have seven ounces of silver in there, that's yeah, as you said, twenty five uh, per ounce right now. Yeah. And of course, they're going to have a markup. You know, the, the dealers usually have a, a 10% markup or maybe just a little bit less than that. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, I understand that the dealer has to make something. Sure. But and this, this is, being a collector, like a collectible. Yeah, it's a, it's a collectible. I'm, I'm interested. I have to be honest. It's, you know, they, I thought it was a joke when I first saw it, but no, it's it looks really interesting. I think I'm going to have to pick one of those up if I can get my hands on one. Right. Uh, did you even mention it glows in the dark? That's It does glow in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did say it glow, glows in the dark. Okay. Um, yeah, I missed that part. And uh, you see, you're hitting it again. All right. Glowing in the dark. Nuclear fusion breakthrough. British reactor sets a new world record after releasing 69 megajoules of energy for five seconds. This is something you've been talking about for years here on this podcast is fusion. We're getting a step closer, aren't we? Yep. That's the uh, holy grail, as it were, um, for technology or for energy production technology. Um, How much does it say how much energy was put into it? They don't say that. They say the latest round of experiments, which was located at the Joint European Taurus, uh, located in, sorry, English listeners, uh, Cullum, Oxfordshire, released a total of 69 megajoules of energy over five seconds. Uh, not a huge energy output. They they don't say uh, exactly how much they dumped into it. However, they say that the reactor that was built, uh, was actually built in the late 70s. They say it contains swirling plasma heated to 150 million degrees Kelvin, which to give you an idea of how hot that is, that's 10 times hotter than the core of the sun. Yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, that's that's a bit warm. Um, that's a little warm. At, at those temperatures, hydrogen atoms fuse into helium, and they release a, st- a sustainable energy in the process, known as fusion, which would put a complete, or which would bring to a complete halt fossil fuels as a source of energy. Yeah, yeah. As, as the main, yeah, absolutely, as a main source of energy, that would be it'd be gone. I mean, we'd still use fossil fuels for other things, but. Um, Jeez, that would be if we can get that one down and get that going. I I think the last test uh, that I I remember reading about, they had done like it was like a 1.8 was the energy production. So um, they got 80 percent more energy out of it than uh, what they put into it Um, uh, because they're reporting on this one, which, by the way, they actually missed an opportunity for a good joke there. Um, They got uh, 69 and then. It, it, instead of five seconds, they should have done 420, but eh, whatever. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake, you and the memes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a nerd. Uh, but it, it, it's an advancement. Not knowing what the initial input is, they probably hit, since they're reporting on it, they probably hit somewhere in that range again, uh, close to the uh, two times uh, production. If we can get there and sustain it, that that's the problem they have right now is actually sustaining it and keeping it going. Um most of the ones I know about right now are using lasers to um, trigger the reaction, and that takes a lot of energy to start to start those lasers and keep them going. But if they can get the reaction going and keep it stable, which again, that's probably where AI runs uh, comes in, we'll have more or less free energy compared to. Well, it's not it's not free, but it's long lasting compared to everything else that we have. I mean, basically, what happens is to to run out of fuel. The hydrogen gets turned into helium and the helium gets turned back into hydrogen. And in the process, you lose a little bit of um, uh, material in that process. It's converted to energy. Uh, So I I think if I remember right, it's like um, you lose one hydrogen for every 
time the helium's turned back into hydrogen, uh, basically. So eventually you'll run out, but it, it takes a while. But yeah, if, if we can we can get that nailed down, uh, that'd be a huge boon. To give you an idea of how much energy was actually used, or excuse me, how much fuel was actually uh, used, they say the energy record was set using just 0.2 milligrams of fuel, which is the same weight as a single grain of pollen. That's an immense amount of energy. Yeah, to put this into perspective, yeah, to put this into perspective, if you ran this amount of energy continuously, it would be able to provide enough power to approximately twelve thousand households on an ongoing basis for a little piece of pollen. For a piece of pollen, essentially, yes, that's uh, that's pretty insane. The, to, to the get fossil that, fuel, it, coal and and get, like the Russians with their with their exports, they don't want to hear that. No. The other problem is, uh, which honestly, this would create a new avenue of of business. But the other problem you would run into is where do you get the fuel? Because it's, uh, if I remember right, it's like a H three, I think. Helium it's an isotope. Moon. Yeah. So either we get it off the moon, which we would probably have some kind of processing center up there just to get it off of there. Or we can set up like satellites that catch catch it. So it's emitted from the sun. That's part of the particle matter that comes off of like solar flares and whatnot. We could catch it with, you know, solar panels or, or not solar panels. It, it's it's like they have like a gel inside them and it's like a solar panel and it catches that material. That'd be one way to do it. Oh, Bruce, we could build a, uh, a 1 million square mile solar thing and stick up there. You know, there's a, <laughs> I mean, there's a group yeah, in Israel could. working to do that. So yeah, instead of putting it so it's facing the earth, we, you know, set it to where it's not in between the earth and the sun. And, and, uh, yeah, just put it in between like Mercury and the sun. Can't you do that or, or something or in between Mercury and Venus? You know, can you do that? Yeah. Well, then you run into the problem of when you start getting a that close. pole, yeah. Well, not just gravity, but also the temperature. Um, the well, true, devices yeah. would have to be able to withstand that. Yeah, that's true. You got anything else today? Um, no, not really. Um, I got new uh, got new Harry Potter looking glasses that are AI powered, and it has. Uh, this is from Brilliant Labs, uh, I believe, and it provides things like AI translations, web search, and visual analysts uh, stuff. So you, right there in your lens. Uh, Starts at three hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, looks interesting. Uh, they're talking about shipping in April. Uh, it looks neat for augmented reality. Not a fan of the glass style. Um, there's a microphone and everything, uh, camera, all kinds of stuff in there. Um, so you could take pictures and you can talk to yourself. Excuse me, I mean talk to the glasses to give it commands. Um, so you can be that weird weirdo in the stall next to you that's talking on the phone, but you're actually not talking on the phone. You're talking to your glasses. That's another level of weird. But anyway, yeah, you got those to look out for. So we'd have more people walking around with those instead of the um, Apple uh, VR headsets. They're now going to be walking around with scuba white. divers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they'll be walking around with white Harry Potter glasses. So got that to look forward to. Oh, that's yeah. Nice. But other than that, yeah, that's that's all I got. All right. Well, I will see you later on in the week, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.